0: Welcome to Health Matters at Sargent College. The mission of Sargent College is to advance, preserve, disseminate, and apply knowledge in the health and rehabilitation sciences. BU's Sargent College strives to create an environment that fosters critical and innovative thinking to best serve the health needs of society. Each episode of Health Matters at Sargent College will include faculty, students, or alumni who will share their knowledge with you. I'm Karen Jacobs, the Associate Dean of Digital Learning and Innovation at Sargent College, and I'll be your moderator for each episode. Well, welcome to this episode of Health Matters. We're traveling around the country virtually and Aaron is our guest on this episode. Aaron, you're an alum of Sargent College and I know very proud of that. Can you give us some background of what it was like being at Sargent and and what are you doing?
1: Thanks, Karen. So I was a, uh, a human physiology major, graduated in 2011 uh, from Sargent. And um, I also was a, a uh, lab teaching for the gross anatomy lab for a year after I graduated, and uh, the course director, lab director for the uh, neuroanatomy neurophysiology lab, and uh, now I'm a, a six-year neurosurgery resident uh, at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, and so you know my experience at Sargent, both in undergraduate and postgraduate. Directly has uh, led to what I do now, and so my, you know, my first exposure to neuroanatomy at Sargent, and uh, still doing it every single day now.
0: That's great. Who who were you working with when you were um, um, taing in so, uh, Sargent?
1: Yeah, Judy Judy Shotland was my Hi. professor.
0: Yeah, she's so she's so wonderful. She's retired now, but
1: I know. She was incredible. She's she kind of made me love anatomy from um, gross anatomy all the way through to neuroanatomy, neurophysiology. She really planted the seed for going to going to medical school really because I was thinking about athletic training and other careers and everything and I just loved anatomy so much and the connections with helping people and, you know, how we can apply fields, physiology that I felt like ended up medical school is the right thing. And then neuroanatomy, I was just, you know, I tried, I resisted the temptation to do neurosurgery for a long time. So I thought it would be too hard for some reason, but, uh, ended up, you know, sticking with the thing that I really enjoyed the most at Sargent.
0: That's great. And if Judy's listening to this episode, we'll do a shout out to her.
1: Yes, absolutely. One of my first, first mentors, I think she was fantastic.
0: Yeah, she is. I get to see what she's doing via social media. Um,
1: yeah, that's right. Um,
0: life to its fullest, that's for sure. So Aaron, you went to Sergeant College. You told us when you graduated. And then where did where did you go to medical school?
1: Great, great question. So I went to Vanderbilt. I actually, one of my classmates at Sargent um, we graduated together, but he had gone directly to med school and went to Vanderbilt, and I went and visited him at one point, And I said, "I really like Nashville," and and then uh, and I ended up applying there, and you know, luckily got in um, after taking the year off. And I uh, haven't looked back. I've been down in Nashville for about ten years.
0: Oh, it's a great a great place to live.
1: It it really is. It's it's wonderful, and we're actually you know, more and more people from the Northeast are coming down here. So it's starting to feel like mini mini New England in a lot of ways. Like everyone I meet has <laughs> some sort of connection to Boston or New York or New Hampshire or something. It's pretty funny.
0: Oh, I'm going to keep that in mind. I have to take another, take another look down there. Um, so can you tell us what, what you're doing now? You've just mentioned you're a surgeon, but um, tell us a little bit more about that path and um, and you know what's a day in the life? Um, you know we, we both were sort of struggling for finding a time, um, and I'm appreciate <laughs> doing this in the evening. Um, you know I, we were joking. You get up at four in the morning. Is that the case as a surgeon?
1: Yep. Yeah. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty wild wild time. Um, so neurosurgery residency. You know I think many people widely widely considered to be probably one of the more challenging just from an hour's standpoint. Um, The thing is, it's a small group. There's only 20 residents at Vanderbilt and we um, there's only about, uh, let's see, three, maybe 12 residents that take care of the entire adult hospital, uh, every neurosurgical patient. Um, And so that's, you know, I'm the chief resident of our tumor service right now. And so that is, Usually about 25 patients that we that I uh, oversee um, for the team, and I have one junior resident with me, so it's a lot of work for two people. And so we start probably around 5:15 every day, which means getting up at 4:30, um, getting in, rounding on all the all 25 of those patients, uh, you know, doing our exams, and then we sit down at the computers around you know 5:45 and look through all the um, neuroimaging all the imaging studies, all the lab work and come up with plans for the day um, before we go to the operating room. Um, and so, we'll, you know, of course, run those plans past our uh, attending surgeons and confirm all that stuff. And then we're pretty much in the operating room until, you know, three thirty four at the earliest most days. Um, but for example, probably the next couple of days for me, may not be getting out of the operating room until 9 or 10 we have such big, big cases to do. So uh, that's kind of, that's an example. Today, it was a very different day though. I was in clinic. Um, so today, you know, same time in the morning, um, but then in clinic for the, the majority of the day and kind of wrapped up around 3.30 and went back to the hospital and saw all the patients again, touched base with everyone. Um, you know, thankfully we have a, we have a couple of nurse practitioners that also help us during the day. Make sure everyone gets, things get done around the hospital while we're not, while we're in the operating room.
0: So, um, wow. That's, is this five days a week?
1: This is five days a week up to seven days. When, when you're on call, um, over the weekend, I'll do the same thing, but we'll round, we'll actually round on somewhere between 50 and 80 patients over the weekend. Um, we have three, uh, Vanderbilt, the way we break it up at Vanderbilt is we have three major sur- neurosurgery subspecialty services. We have a tumor service, a uh, vascular neurosurgery, and functional neurosurgery service. So t- clipping aneurysms or treating aneurysms, strokes, uh, and doing part treating Parkinson's disease and epilepsy surgically. That's all kind of one subspecialty service. And then we have a spine surgery service. Um, And so between the three of them, you know, we routinely have between 50 to 80 patients in-house on the neurosurgery uh, list, you could say, that we have to take care of and make plans for. So on the weekend, we have a team of maybe four or five of us that will see all of those patients and get everything put together. Um,
0: That's a very demanding workload. And um, I appreciate you saying that there are three different specialties. You um, chose tumors, Is that right?
1: Well, so I, will, I am a kind of an omnipotent stem, stem cell right now. I could be doing anything. So we rotate over the course of each year. We rotate across the three, spending four months uh, on each service. So I just was, when I saw you last time in October, when we were in Boston, I was the, on the spine service. Um, and so we kind of get a little mix of everything. Ultimately, my plan is to do pediatric neurosurgery. So totally different than anything I'm doing this year. Um, but very similar at the same time, just with kids and not adults.
0: So, um, that, that's really interesting. What, what is attracting you to going into pediatrics?
1: Well, you know, I, I really like the idea of having long-term patients, um, children you know they you can uh, get take them on as a patient when they're an infant and then um, until they're 18 or 21 depending on how long your whatever your practice set up as uh, and you can really you know do something that gives them a life <clears throat> whereas you know adult neurosurgery is great you often see patients when they're the sickest um, but they may not make it, uh, very much longer. So you kind of have short-term patients. Um, it's just a very different, uh, set of pathology also, uh, where I really enjoy trying to figure out strange congenital abnormalities and how we're going to fix them or, or what we're going to do about it. I enjoy taking care of, of those types of things as well as pediatric brain tumors. you know, they're as um, heartbreaking as some of the outcomes can be. And, Some of those diseases a lot of them are very treatable um, and we can really make a difference.
0: I love um, when you shared that one of the aspects that attracted you was to to be able to develop a relationship um, by starting and working with um, a a child um, as they and as they get older you know that that takes a lot of empathy, and um, you, you're a very thoughtful person, um, thinking about you know having these longer-term relationships with the patients that that you care for. I think that's wonderful. Now, will it, you stay. It there? is, yeah. Will you stay where you are as um, as you finish rotating? Are you planning to stay in Nashville?
1: We'll we'll find out. Depends if there if there's a job here, but. Um... I'll, I will probably be going away for at least one year to do my pediatric neurosurgery fellowship. Um, just get a different, uh, different set of skills and a different experience. We kind of work. We work with our pediatric neurosurgery program at Vanderbilt is incredible. Um, but since we get to know them so well, it's good to see another set of ways ways to manage everything, kind of in, improve the ar- arsenal that you have in treating these patients.
0: Um, do you have any idea where that will be?
1: We'll see. Playing the cards closely here. Yeah. We'll. I'll be doing the uh, going around interviewing probably this time next year for that That's stuff.
0: Right. So we'll have to have you come back in a year, so we. That's can-
1: right. Yeah, and I can. I can certainly. Reveal. Have to uh, reveal. Share at that point. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so we got to meet when you were um, in Boston in October, and you received an award.
1: I, I don't, did I receive a reward?
0: Well, the reward of being with us.
1: That's right. (laughs) I did, I I did. I had a great honor to be on, to sit on the, um, uh, the clinical education advisory.
0: Um, that's probably, I should have phrased it like that. Um, yes, what is it like to be on that? That's a very, uh,
1: it was fascinating. It's really interesting to kind of pull back the curtains and see what, how, 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 People are thinking about these decisions, like everything from, um, you know, what what uh, I guess clinical rotation sites are going to be used to, what sort of material is going to hang in the front lobby. Which was I thought that was hilarious, but great point. You, that's a big deal when you walk in the lobby. What is it going to look like, and what's going to get attention? Is you gotta keep getting students to come, and the fancier every all the other buildings on B's campus get, you gotta upgrade the sergeant lobby. It, but I found that to be really funny.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it sounds like you know why do you need something like that when you know you've got these world-renowned, internationally renowned faculty members. That's
1: too. right, and uh, you know the reputation is so strong, but it's the um, backlit titanium neuron looking things that are really going to pull people in which i think is great actually i think that's one as a neuro person i'd love to see the neurons in there but um (laughs) so that was great and then the other thing that i found out about was the plans to have some patient simulation setups there which is really cool and i think that is critical um For students, really going into any health science specialties and so forth, but really, and but really, med students. You know, I think the medical school in general we're doing um, less lecture, which is great, um, but it also means a lot of self study and a lot of means a lot of um, early exposure to patients and um, the human side of medicine, which is. What definitely what needs to happen, but it, it also, it's a, it's a big adjustment to go from college to doing that, so I think having early exposure to standardized patients and sim labs and things is probably what needs to happen, especially for people that are really committed already to doing medicine.
0: Yeah, we're very excited. It's going to be on the third floor at Sargent, and um, recently we got to look at, um, in a faculty meeting, what the floor plan looks like, and it's going to be quite remarkable so we're very excited about this being um the newest addition to sergeant college and i'm glad
1: i've been i've been promoting it when people ask when people have asked me for advice in choosing a place for college um with the intention of going to medical school i've highly recommended sergeant i really think it sets you up for people especially for people that are are you know somewhat committed in their mind I think it gives you the best leg up uh, way to get into medical school in terms of the skill set you get.
0: Well, thank you. You know, I absolutely agree with you as well. And I, I'm sure that um, our listeners and those who are at Sargent or people are, who are thinking about applying to Sargent, if going down a career path of medicine is what they're looking for, you know, Sargent definitely is the place to, to, to come to. Um, couple of things as we're getting closer to concluding um you have done some work in concussion as well right and value-based care as it relates to concussion and concussion diagnostics in particular can you share yes. a little bit about that too
1: yes so thank you yeah the um you know, it's kind of funny when I was at BU is a big name in concussion science and chronic traumatic encephalopathy, you know, at least on the medical school side. And when I was a student, I had tried to work uh, in that lab, I had sent some cold, sent some emails, and they just didn't have space for me. And uh, I happened to kind of fall into it once I got to Vanderbilt into med school um and i worked with a neuropsychologist here named gary solomon who's now works at the nfl he's retired from seeing patients but um incredible mentor um and was the neuropsychologist for you know the professional sports in nashville for a long time um and he got me really excited about concussion even more than i was as a former athlete and high school football player had a bunch of concussions uh, probably uh, who knows how many were would have been diagnosed these days, but um, I was really interested in really interested in how we can make sports safer and make um, you know as I've gone through it, make concussion care better. Uh, and so uh, for the last couple of years, I've been the uh, director for research for the Vanderbilt Sport Concussion Center. Um, and a couple of the things that we really are working hard on one is trying to figure out. Um, how we can streamline, stream, streamline the care for kids with concussions. And that means, you know, who is going to show up in clinic and doesn't need to keep coming back? Because it is a big deal for, you know, to have a kid leave school and a parent leave work to come to the clinic. And there's a giant portion of concussions that get better rather quickly. And we can kind of transition the care expediently from, uh, you know, a physician Or a nurse practitioner to the athletic trainer uh, and back uh, to the training room at their high school and so we're working on ways that we can use uh, machine learning and kind of some computer and big data science to to get these kids um, to discriminate who is going to be a fast recoverer and who's going to be slow and um, we're working on putting numbers actually on how much money we could save by utilizing an algorithm rhythm like this versus just our typical decision-making, which is unfortunately kind of arbitrary. Um, but uh, so that's one of the major things we're working on and we're really excited about.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So um, will you be publishing? Um, oh. What are you thinking about how you'll disseminate it?
1: Oh, if you uh, would like, we have uh, maybe hundreds in the last several years of articles uh, on some of this stuff. There's one that I can, maybe I can send to you and you can distribute it you, or your will kind of our first look at what it actually costs to have a concussion as a high school football player, um, which is one of my favorite articles from the last couple of years. Um, and where we pretty much show what the average cost is for a concussion is about $800. It costs the society per se, and only $32, really, in terms of quality of life. So for the typical high school football player that has a concussion, it doesn't cost all that much. But if you let the concussion symptoms linger, and you don't have treatment, or you have a particularly bad concussion, and you have more symptom, you come in with a greater number of symptoms, it's almost exponential. As those symptoms increase, the amount that's going to cost to treat that concussion goes up point there is that we need to figure out who are going to be who's going to be in this group that takes a long time to recover and treat them early and expend resources early to prevent lingering symptoms whereas we can get people out the door faster and cut the costs for people that will have low symptoms when they present and get better faster and so that's one of the first things <clears throat> and we've done a bunch of work in the past year on uh, on uh, you know health equity and concussion, and looking at how sociocultural cultural um, factors play into the recovery of concussion and what that means. Um, so I can send you a couple of those, and maybe you can post them somewhere or something uh, in relation to this podcast. I don't
0: know. No, that would be great. Um, I'd love that, and we can um, put a link to um, these articles in the description. Um, great. We're gonna conclude now, um, and this has been incredibly um, fascinating, but also so exciting that a lot of your inspiration for what you're doing now came from your studies at Sargent College. So Absolutely. yeah, so any takeaway you'd like to share as we conclude um, this this episode of Health Matters?
1: You know, I think, I think that uh, the main point, I guess, as it relates to BU and Sergeant is that, um, you know, whatever kind of attracted you to, to Sergeant is something that you can really materialize, I think, into a career, into a passion later on, even if it's not the exact same thing. A lot of all this stuff are, are little bits and pieces that I picked up over those four years and kind of turned it into my whole career. So, um, you know, I think the building blocks are all there and then you kind of just start piling on once you leave.
0: Uh, thank you so much. And um, I'm proud to say I'm a Sergeant graduate too. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, excellent. I, yeah, I can underscore what you just said. So Aaron, thank you for spending time with us and just thank you for your compassion for working with people and really making a difference and being proactive you know, the work that you're doing um, with people with concussions and hopefully preventing um, concussions in the first place.
1: Um, Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great.
0: Oh, uh, great. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for listening to this episode of Health Matters.